Like a herd of turtles? <laughs> herd of something. With our audience of three cats that as soon as they hit record have all come in. Three. Where's mm. the fourth? No, they fourth's wandering around somewhere. Probably so. snoozing. Probably. Or up to no good. One of the two for sure. You're busy, therefore I'm going to destroy things. <laughs> so we were going to talk a bit today about looking after your bicycle. Bicycle maintenance. Jamie's domain. I was going to say Jessica's favourite subject. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd start off by saying it is worth finding a good bike mechanic and good bike shops good bike shops and good bike mechanics don't necessarily come together they can but often finding a good mechanic is a little bit of a art and i've had a few good ones over the years been recently blessed but in the past i've had some who uh work was a little bit i don't know what the word is anyway lacking yeah very much so i was going to say is it a bit like finding a therapist maybe you have to have the right fit yeah i guess so i think the thing with bicycles especially mountain bikes is you know if you don't do the bolts that hold the handlebars to the forks or i have one where they put the rotor bolts in which hold the brake disc to the wheel but then tighten them up and then I couldn't understand why it was rattling and not breaking properly. And I just had a few things over the years that are just a bit sloppy, I suppose. Um, but, like I said, blessed now with good people. And it's worth just finding somebody that you trust. And even if you do a lot of this stuff yourself, I tend to give our bikes to somebody else at least once a year, sometimes twice a year, depending on what it is. Just to sense check everything I've done, and there's some jobs that you know they're just better at because they have more time and do it all the time. So, a little bit of a symbiotic relationship. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, so, I guess I was just going to talk about the philosophies of people I've ridden with, and one person I used to ride with who actually raced mountain bikes to a pretty high level. His philosophy was. You just ride it until it falls apart and then go and do something about it. Um, and and that literally is how he would kind of ride and live his life generally, I suppose. Um, so there's that philosophy. And he also would never bother spending any money on decent lubricant. So he would always just use whatever oil he could find. Which normally means that all the mud and grit and rubbish sticks to your chain and cassette and gets into your derailleur and just generally messes everything up so I don't believe in you know I don't really believe that that's the right way ahead I um, have also been heavily criticised for measuring chain stretch I don't know if anybody knows what that is well I was going to ask how do you do that because I have learned a little bit I'm thinking about the slack, not the stretch. Are those two different things? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So that's about how much I know. So, okay, we won't, we, we can talk about the slackness, but chain stretch is where you ride a bicycle, and the heavier you are and the more abusive you are to your bicycle, the more likely the chain is to stretch. It also depends on 
it's one of those things that depends on how much money you spend. So the more expensive the chains, the less likely they are to stretch. They all stretch eventually, but the wear is slower on a more expensive chain. And I've proved this by running a cheaper train, cheaper chain, not train, cheaper chain Ching during the pandemic because I couldn't get anything else. And I think I stretched it two inches in like three months of riding, whereas normally wow. you'd expect to stretch it like, you know, a few millimeters. So, so um, how do you measure this? So you buy a little tool called a chain stretch tool. A chain elongation gauge? There you go. And Whoa. it has a couple of hooks on it. I know exactly which tool this is. <laughs> so the reason you want to buy one of these is if you buy your brand new mountain bike and you ride it with all the stuff on, i.e. the cassette, the chain ring where the pedals are, and the mech, and you just ride it and ride it and ride it and don't ever worry about your chain. As the chain stretches, it doesn't fit properly and it wears the teeth on the cassette into what people call shark's teeth. Bit of a chain reaction, <laughs> is it? <laughs> name a bike shop, I think they've got plus. So, and then when you get the shark's teeth, it stops the bike shifting properly. And what that means is is that rather than just changing a chain, which could be, say, $100 for a decent one, you end up changing the mech, the cassette, the chain, probably not the chain ring and the crank, but you go from a $100 bill to a seven or $800 bill. Whoa. And that's why I am... Probably once a month I check the chain stretch to make sure that it's within the tolerances. Well, that really does sound like a bit of a domino effect. <laughs> so. And if you do get to the point, if you bought a second-hand bike, or you're at the point listening to this and you're like, ah, suck it, <laughs> I'm beyond the wear mark, you may as well just run this thing into the ground because you're going to have to buy a new cassette and new make and everything anyway. So you may as well just go for it now. Just, just give her. Yeah. Like the old cycle couriers used to, just ride it till it doesn't work anymore. Um... So one of the biggest things on the chain is wear. And chain wear comes from grit, mostly. How do you check this? Like, what are you looking for when you're checking the wear on the chain? It's just the length. You can't really see the wear okay. by eye. But you know when you've got grit in your chain because sure. it makes that crunchy noise. But there's nothing else you can really visually really. like see. You, you may start to see like the cassette wear weirdly, but I mean... I bought a middle-of-the-road Saram cassette. I don't even know what it is because they changed everything um, a year ago. And I've gone through... This is my third chain in a year. And the bike's obviously just been serviced and the cassette's got loads of life left in it. So it, it just kind of makes sense to keep on top of it. And I think the... Uh, chain ring on the crank on this is like five years old I've had it on two other bikes so. um, I guess yeah. a little bit of this is knowing too um, how much different parts cost yeah so therefore which ones not to say you know not that I'm trying to say oh don't maintain your bike or be slack or you know cut corners um, but when you if you know some of the expenses of some of the bits you may pay more attention to some of the other bits that it touches or do you see what i'm poorly do, trying yeah. to say 
I do, and it and things have changed, like a like a headset, which is where the forks connect to the handlebars. That set of bearings and that thing there, I mean, they were almost disposable when I used to ride, like first started riding, and now you get a headset and you keep it forever if you look after it and change the bearings and seals and like it's not a disposable part like it used to be things things have kind of changed but it's also accepting that some things do wear out the mech is the thing that's in contact with the rocks and everything it's a fragile device with springs and pulleys and rubbish like that that changes gears for you and they do just have a life expectancy of maybe a year or two, depending on how often you fall off, how much rock you ride through, what gear you're in when you're riding through the rocks. Um, so yeah, and your bike shop will tell you, and there's a lot of myths around, like people say, you know, you should change carbon handlebars every two years. I Sure, if you crash all the time, but I mean, if you're a reasonably competent, sensible rider and you don't leave your bike out in the sun all day, then you're probably okay to change them every four or five years, actually. Yeah, a bit of common sense, I guess. So, one of the things I was going to say is the biggest thing with chain wear is grit. And what I tend to do with our bikes is we've been riding normally in the summer. I will wipe the chain down. If we've been riding in the winter, I'll still just wipe it down. If we've been riding somewhere and it all sounds really crunchy and sandy, I will just run it through a... um, biodegradable chain cleaner in a chain cleaning device yeah Um, because I only want the degreaser and the chain cleaner on the chain I don't want it everywhere else so um, and I was going to talk about that in a second maybe so there's a bit of a popular thing at the moment going on about you know companies and again, I don't want to knock anybody, but there are some brands where they do some really cool stuff, but they also sell a wide array of cleaning products. And some of those <laughs> cleaning products are degreasers, including washing up liquid, as a side note. You mean dish soap? Yeah. Okay. So dish soap is a degreaser. So if you're ever desperate for a chain cleaner and you haven't got any, you could just use that in your chain device because it is a degreaser, right? Makes sense to me. Um but I've watched people with brushes, like brushing their cassette with degreaser, with a lot of degreaser, and they just think, okay, that's going to run all over your cassette and down into your hub and into your bearings, and however good your seals are, there's grease in your bearings, so you really want to stay in there, because that's what makes your wheel roll nicely. So, my point is, is just a little bit of common sense around using a degreaser, use it really sparingly. Like less is more kind of situation. Put it on a cloth and wipe it on your chain. If you really need to clean your cassette with some kind of brush, spray it onto the brush and then brush the cassette. Don't spray it all over the cassette and then brush it. Just a bit, you know, a little bit of common sense. And the same for some of these cleaning things, like the frame cleaners, stuff like that. Like if that gets onto your brake discs, for example... It's going to squeal at the very least and potentially you're going to contaminate the brakes and they're not going to work properly. And that's the problem with getting like stuff, foreign objects on brake desks. And then just leading on to that, there's all again lots of myths and stuff. Most of us drive with our bikes on our cars, either on the back or on the front. So 
road grime contains diesel, oil, oil, fumes, petrol, whatever. So we all end up with contamination to an extent on our bikes unless we keep them in our cars and vans. And I've gone through so many things with this. I've been given the super expensive mountain bike disc cleaner. I've been given motorcycle disc cleaner. And then a race mechanic that I spoke to said that he always used um, like rubbing alcohol, you know, the um, medical grade. Yeah, rubbing yeah. alcohol. So I bought a small bottle of that and I've been using that to clean our brakes and it's lasted 10 times longer and it's like $2 or something. It's sweet. So cheap. Yeah. Um, There's a sweet little tip for everyone. Yeah. Uh, and also, just while we're on that, um, it's also useful to put in a little dish and put your valve cores. Do you know what valve cores are? No. Oh, so, actually, I do. Is it the little stemmy thing? It's a little thing in the stemmy thing. Oh, see, I was on the right path. So, if you uh, have a bike that's tubeless, then you'll have valves with removable valve cores. The stemmy thing inside the yeah. stemmy thing. And the valve core <laughs> gets clogged up with the gunk that you use for sealing punches. Right. And then when you go to check your tyre pressures or pump your tyres up, sometimes they just don't work. Or so, is it a big lie? Yeah, no, it can be annoying. So they just get the seal gets gunked up. So again, a little bit of the old rubbing alcohol in a dish and chuck your valve coils in there and give them, not, don't leave them in there for two days because there'll be nothing left of the rubber. Put them in there, <laughs> give them a wipe with a cloth and a bit of fresh water, dry them out, and then you know, put them in your parts bin ready for next time because you'll hopefully put some new ones in and just kind of rotate them until they stop holding air and then order some new ones so yeah anyway that was a little tip there we've been talking a bit about cleaning bikes and i think people get new bicycles and watch youtube and look at look at professionals and think that bikes have to be spotlessly clean so when i had bikes that were sponsored um they had to be spotlessly clean because if they ever appeared in pictures and you know we were ever like giving them to people to try or whatever it was, the bike brands wanted them to be immaculate. When it's your own bike, don't bother because you're not getting all the spare parts. So actually, all you really need to keep clean is the drive chain, train, which is obviously the chain and the cassette, and we've just talked about that. You want to keep your brake discs and pads clean and you can do that with a brush or you know like a air blower of some sort and your suspension like literally drop a post front suspension rear suspension if you have it and all that involves is getting any mud off of the actual moving parts so that you keep the mud away from the seals i was going to say this sounds like all the moving parts yeah everything else doesn't matter like, it literally doesn't matter if there's mud on your frame. It's annoying because mud gets all over your garage. But if you don't know what you're doing or you're new to it, trust me, your bike will last 20 times longer if you don't start poking about in <laughs> bottom brackets and rubbery things. Plus, you know, if you ride five times a week, you don't want to be cleaning it five times a week. And, I mean, you know how much time I spend on our bikes I mean I spend enough time but I mean we ride them a lot and they don't break very often do they so no they sure don't I mean the odd thing but that's to be expected normally crashing into trees and seasoning so I have a little 
clipboard in the garage and because we have multiple bikes so we have two fat bikes and then we've got three mountain bikes and another bike and another bike um we i run a bit of a service schedule thing so i tend to clean them all every six to eight weeks depending on the time of year unless we're not riding them i oil the chains on a regular basis i keep an eye on the moisture in the air so like if it's been super cold like it has recently then it gets humid i check that the chains aren't going rusty because that will screw your drive train over easily solve with a bit of oil um i do sometimes use a teflon based water displacement spray which i will sometimes spray on around like headsets or what does that do it dispels moisture, but we're lucky. We have a compressor in the garage, so that is a much better way of doing that. But if we're away, I always take a tin of like a Teflon-based degree, just a de-moisturizing spray. It used to be called GT80. I don't know what it's called these days, but Markov do one. It's a black tin with green letters on it. So. Um, your bike shop will know what it is. So... You wanted me to talk a little bit about tools, I think. Yeah, tell me some of the tools in your kit there. So I was actually thinking about this, and I thought, do we start off with where do you start as a beginner? Because, like, everything is expensive, right? So you've just been boy mountain bike, however you know, expensive or not that might have been. But you probably need a helmet, and you probably need some kind of squishy shorts, and you probably need proper pedals at least pins if not you know, clipless SPDs. You probably need knee pads sooner or later and you probably have gloves and then you'll get lulled into this like sense of suddenly you're like oh people ride in mountain biking trousers and then you start to realize why we ride in mountain bike trousers and my point is is there's a lot of things to buy to get going and it can all seem a little bit overwhelming right. Absolutely. I'm still not even there yet with the whole... I'm still not into the knee pads or the elbow pads. I guess I I finally got into the shorts, but no you, gloves. You'll get that. Shoes took me a couple years, but I got there. You wear gloves, don't you? No, you don't, do you? Not in the summer. No. I only wear gloves for my for the heat factor. I think... Just yeah. to say that you don't have to. No. Like, as another point of view, um, yes, some of those things are absolutely great ideas and there's reasons for them. I can appreciate that. But you equally don't have to have all these things to get out there and have a good time. No, a helmet is one of the things. I yeah. think if you're a... Comp- I mean, you were new to mountain biking, but not cycling. I think if you're a complete beginner cyclist gloves are useful because if you do come off it's your hands that you tend to put out in front of you and especially younger kids as well like it's I I wear gloves because um whacking my fingers on brambles in England was always the thing that used to kind of just get on my nerves and ended up with loads of little scratches on my fingers so and then over here I don't know I just carried on I guess I just feel weird if I don't so it depends where we're riding, I suppose. Also, if your chain comes off, you don't get muckle everywhere. It's on your gloves, I guess. But then that transfers to your grips, and that can be annoying. Anyway, I was just thinking about this. So what do you need to start with? So I wrote a list, and I was thinking, well, 
you could actually go to the dollar store for some of this or yeah, pound, pound land if you live in England. For um, sure, some of the things on there. So I would buy two toilet brushes. Yep. Um, and toilet brushes specifically because the long handles are quite useful. I was going to say the little hand one or the one with the stick that you actually go in the toilet. The yeah. one for the toilet or the tub? Maybe both, actually. One okay. of each. Because um, it's useful if you're tired or you've been riding, you don't want to bend down, you don't have a work stand. Long-handled brush. Like We have one in the car now, which is just helpful for just to get snow off the fat bikes or whatever. Yeah, that vintage one's been a real beauty. <laughs> if you but can the, find one of those particularly. But the bristles are good for cleaning the cassette, the wheels, um, like all of those moving parts we just talked about. I wouldn't use the... St- the plastic bristles on your frame unless you've got frame protection because it will scratch the paint. I did also wonder, I did mention in one of the last ones about a, a bottle brush might be another one to check yep. out. Yeah, it could be. Just, um, uh, sure. it might, anyways, might have softer bristles, I don't know. And you also have pedals to clean. Pedals are a pain in the ass, depending on what kind of pedal you've got. If you've got flat pedals, the mud still gets jammed in there between the pins or leaves in England. But if do you ever you've use a toothbrush? SPDs. Well, I do use a toothbrush for cleaning cassette normally. Um, so I would say, yeah, a couple of toilet brushes from the dollar store, old toothbrush if you've got one you'll find useful. Um, How about a bucket? Well, I was going to say a bag of rags, like um, the cheap bags, that, the cheap rags that you get from the dollar store. Um, you buy like a back packet of ten for uh, four dollars or something. You know those sticky, plasticky things. Yep. Um, old towels are good as well, just to wipe frames down when they're wet. And then yeah, a bucket doesn't matter what it is. I mean, it really doesn't matter. The cheapest bucket you can. Excuse me, you can find, um, and that's it, a bucket, some rags, keep some dry and clean, keep some for oily, chainy stuff, keep some some for wiping the, book, the bike down. And then, after you've got those things, again, I, and I would do it in this order, I would seriously look at getting some picks, and you'll know about those from your day job. I do, yeah. I use them all the time. Like you get leaves and... Like, but it's a grass and stuff caught in your inside the cassette, or you get stuff caught inside the mech, or um, just trying to think where else. But there's other places where you get bits of leaf and grass and stuff caught. So these little pick tools that Jamie's talking about are they're almost like a dental tool. Yeah. Where would you get those? Well, I mean. I have a few, so any park tools make them so you can get them online. I know, but I'm assuming you could find some cheaper ones. Lifeline is a brand in the UK, but I think they've gone when um, Chain Reaction got into trouble. Uh, I have some that are Draper, if you're in England. So Draper Tools is a UK tool company. They're slightly shorter than the bike ones, but they actually have a nicer handle on them. And there's four. There's like you get them and you think, oh, I'm never going to use a little weird, like, fish hook shape one. But actually, for hooking bits of grass out of the cassette that's all covered in oil and stuff, they're actually ideal. So, um, the, the only thing on tools, and I was going to talk about this later, is... In fact, I'll wait a second. So, I would buy picks. I would buy a good set of hex wrenches, like, 
all the sizes metric. You don't need imperial. And I would buy anything if you're running Saram like we do, specifics. So the Saram has a slightly different set of fittings for some reason. They have the star, whatever right. that's called. Um, I've been fiddling with bikes since I was a kid, and I would say that, and again, you probably agree with this, you may not, but I would buy the best, I would buy less of the best tools you can afford because they will last 10 times longer. And I actually had something last night. I was changing a mech hanger on, I've got a Canyon, which I'm just going to use as a commuter bike. And the mech hanger was bent. And I was changing the mech hanger, which is two tiny uh, hex nut bolt things. And it's cold, right? And it's, But they've been in there a long time, probably rusted in there. And I picked up a set of hex wrenches, but it didn't bother going to my tool roll for my proper hex wrenches. I just picked up the ones that I use all the time, which are a little bit softer. And they're a little bit past it, really. They're not great. And I should throw them out, but I don't, because they're tools. You don't throw tools out. I completely... St I, one of the things came out fine. The second one, it completely rotated on itself, and I actually thought it was turning, and it wasn't. It just stripped the inside of the hex wrench. The smaller they are, too, the easier it and is And the metal's to soft. Them. And Anyway, I got my Park Tools hand tool, which is the one that I used to ride with, but I've now moved to a smaller one because it's bulky. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to see if this... And Park Tools tools are well made. And I there must have been a tiny bit in there, right in the bottom of the bolt, because I tapped it with a rubber mallet and then just tapped it and turned it gently and it kind of came out. And I did just think, yeah, don't buy cheap tools because if I'd have used the Park Tool in the first place, it wouldn't have done that weird twisty thing. It's just because, you know, things get a bit warm. So anyway, I would do... Set of picks, at least two, probably four, because they normally come in sets of four. I would buy a very good set of hex wrenches, and I would buy whatever you need that is, if it's SRAM, that's SRAM-specific. All park tools, if you can, or look at Pedro's, or a good, normal brand, um, you know, like from your local hardware store. And then I would buy a valve tool, valve core removal tool. So most tubeless tyres have a valve cover, like a dust cap we call them. Um, they have a valve removal tool in them. And they're okay to use for four or five times, but if you use them too often, they, the aluminium's soft, so they fall apart. So you actually want to just spend $10, $5, whatever it is, on a proper valve core removal tool. Don't buy the cheap one on Amazon because it doesn't work because I bought three of those because I thought, oh, they're only $2. That'd be great. And they're not. I have a stands one and a park tools one and they both work very well. Yeah, I would also invest in the tyre pressure gauges at first out as well because running the right tyre pressures means that the bike's tyres last longer. It means you'll have a better ride experience and it's kind of, yeah, it's, it's something to get into probably quite quickly, I think. Yeah, you do that every single time. Every ride, yeah. Even if I ride today, tomorrow, and the next day, I tend to check them. Every time. Yeah, and they change, pretty much. Like, yeah. not a lot, but this time of the year is a bit less, actually, weirdly. I was going to say, does temperature even affect it? Yeah, um, 
But I mean, the joke is you could tech check them at home, put them on the car, drive for five hours, get to your destination. And they're different. If you've climbed, like in Quebec, you've driven up a mountain road, the tire pressures will have changed. So uh, it does. It is weird, and it is. It does make a difference, actually. Um, and we fat bike as well, and tire pressures on fat bikes are even more critical because I ran mine too low and lost all the air because I hadn't updated the <laughs> sealant inside the tire, and then it just rolled off the rim and it was quite annoying but anyway so we also want to talk a little bit about a few other bits and pieces so we were going to just discuss if we go away what we take with us and why um i'm lucky because somebody made me a little toolkit thing well not a little toolkit thing a massive leather tool roll to be precise <laughs> But it is relatively small. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Oh, God, never again. <laughs> no, well, that's not it'll true. Last forever. That's not true. Not never again. Jessica's open to commissions, but it'll be a... Uh, An expensive... Expensive... Uh, endeavor. Endeavor, yeah. No, anything that once you make one time is maybe no... Pro- well, not no problem, but much easier to make the second time around. Seeing as I was completely making this up and... I really had no visual or example, definitely not a pattern to go by. I was just going on Jamie's words. I had one when I, I was had... 16 and it was great. <laughs> that made was... out of an old, I don't know, curtain or something. Probably. That's about as much information yeah. as I had. And here's the pile of tools, that literally a pile of tools that I want to fit in it. Um... I, you know what? I wonder if you should put a link to a photo of that. No, I might actually put the picture in as the description. So I so what I was going to say is we don't go away a huge amount, but we go away, I mean, we drive somewhere most weekends. Um, and I have a theory that, you know, if you go away for a day's riding and it's a three-hour trip each way let's say or even a round trip all the fuel and the time and everything to get there and not be able to ride is annoying and things happen like you can snap a wheel or split a tire and it's more than annoying i would say it's devastating <laughs> so, especially if you only get out once a week and then if you um, if you go on top of that and you're like well you go away somewhere so you you know, fly or you are driving to the other side of the country or like as we go from Ontario to Quebec then it's you know six seven eight hours of driving and it's a long way and you're there for four or five days of riding and things do go wrong or need to be changed or whatever so I have this leather tool roll that's been made for me which is excellent and in it I kind of have everything that you would need as a basic tool kit to do almost everything so i have the tools to take the bottom bracket out which is where the cranks are i have the tools to take the cassette off i have the ability to straighten brake rotors i have some basic tools for headset bearings or um you know bottom bracket bearings although that's less of an issue now because they tend to be threaded i will have tools to um, be able to adjust seat posts especially the dropper posts change cables brake cables dropper post cables but there are some things i don't have so i won't take 
the brake bleed kit because I'll make sure I've done that before I go. I won't take brake discs because I tend not to. But the question is, do you have the tool to measure your chain stretch? Yeah, <laughs> and I mean... I, I mean, know because that one was a really hard one to find a space for. I had to, I had to build a whole new pocket for that <laughs> annoying little thing. And I mean, it sounds funny, but we've been to Quebec before when my chain's been borderline, or yours was actually borderline. And I thought I'll take the chain and the chain tool because I'm not going to change it until I get home. But actually, halfway through that trip, I changed it because it was beyond the seventy-five percent wet. Wow. Um, like I always have spare rotor bolts, so if we lose a rotor bolt on a brake disc, um, and some of it's a bit of common sense. Like if a bottom bracket's going, I'll take a bottom bracket. I won't travel with one generally, but if I can hear there's a creak or something starting, I'll take one because I'll be like, I don't want to have to deal with it. We always tend to take a spare mech because they're the things that go. Always mech hangers and all the tools to be able to change those. We have bacon strips. Do you know what I mean? No, I was going to ask you. Although I think you have told me before because I well, would I've have said, them, "What right? the heck is a bacon strip?" Which is when you put a hole in a tubeless tire. It's like a, like a needle. You stick in the tire and then it leaves like a, like a, like a plasticky, strippy thing that looks like a piece of bacon that stays in there and blocks the hole with the tubeless. Um, gotcha. Tire levers for getting tires on and off should you need to. Um, and always a small torque wrench because we've got carbon bars and some stuff that you shouldn't over-tighten. And a torch because often if you're staying somewhere that's not your own house, there's not good lighting. So By one torch of those, you mean a light of Yeah, some have kind. one of those mini torches. Okay, that I thought you were like to pick locks more excellent. thinking about some arson or something <laughs> just in case. Oh, I see. No. Or I don't know. A lamp with a battery. <laughs> I per, I actually myself quite like to use a headlamp in particular because then I could be hands free. Just yeah. as a little side note, sometimes. Yeah, I have done that certainly in our old place. I mean, the other thing as well is if you've got a bike rack on the back of your bike, or back of your car. Sorry, um, I use that as a work standard for a way. That's clever. Um, because you know. Well, I mean, it's also a, it's a nice height to work at as well, right? And I was just going to say that never mind going on a trip or any kind of distance. I mean, we generally have that tool roll in the car at all times. Yeah, we do. And I mean, you know, you never know when you're going to like, you know, snap a chain and need to put a chain link in. It's much easier if you've got a chain link tool. So, um, yeah, I'll put some links in basic what I think you need and then a more advanced toolkit and an even more advanced toolkit. Well. Um, should you wish to dig into that. So what are you drinking over there? Oh. Oh, I'm actually having a um, something I made of a wild edible. Funny you should ask. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like a sip? Go on, give it a go. So what is it then? <laughs> it's, um, in fact, I think it's a, there's a recipe on the website for rosehip syrup, but it's sans syrup i.e. sans sugar, no sugar, no honey. There was honey in the syrup. And um, so I just kind of boiled the crap out of some chopped up rose hips 
And this time, though, I added some fresh ginger for an extra dose of fiery goodness. And, um, yeah, I did a double boil and just decanted it into a jar in the fridge and uh, been adding a splash of that to my club soda. No, it's, it's delicious. And it's quite good for us, too. What book should we recommend you have it in front of you? What do you think? The... Zin and the Art of Mountain Bike Maintenance, the world's best-selling guide to mountain bike repair. Uh, these books change all the time and there's YouTube, but this book is particularly helpful and when I did my maintenance exam, which I did actually do as a bit of a spare time project, was it last winter? No, the winter One before. before. Um, this is the handbook they use for the mountain bike part and I've used it, I mean I didn't use it a lot, but I've used it a couple of times to figure out a few things recently. Um, well, I guess I'm next. Yeah, so... <laughs> It's quite helpful, actually. I was going to ask, do you ever use talcum powder or baby powder for anything, or is that not a no, because we do not have tubes? Yeah, it used to be for road bikes and tubes, mm. plus it's a carcinogenic. So I think it's not but the new stuff just ain't the same. It's mm. not as good as the babe's powder. It doesn't, doesn't take the moisture out. Okay, so that's it then, really, I think. <laughs> Nothing else to say on that note. Well, one more thing to say. Get lost!